Hey, Raven. What do you think about people who have different color skin than we do? The people just live in their stores. They live in their stores? Yeah. <laughs> and people went back and did their cars. Mm. Okay. And then they went back into the store. Oh. Is that the only time you saw them at the store? Yeah. Yeah. But they weren't there. They weren't there? No, but where were there? Are you excited to go to school and make friends with people that have different color skin than you? Yeah. Yeah? Uh-huh. And I went potty training. Yeah, you get to go to school after potty training. Let's <laughs> <laughs> need the next one. You want to do the next question? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Do you have a question for me? No, just hmm. me. Just you? Yeah. I have to ask you all the questions? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what you are? Mm-hmm. Raven. You're Raven, that's correct. But you're also an Indian. You're a Native American. Whenever I'm a princess. You're a princess. <laughs> yeah. You and Daddy and Grandma and Papa are all Creek Nation. Yeah, and Daddy's a Creek Nation too? Yeah. Yeah, but Mama's not. No. Nope. This Miguel. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a, your girl. <laughs> yeah, and I'm your girl. Yeah, you're my baby girl. Mm -hmm. My little Creek Nation princess. <laughs> I just wanted to pop in here and chat with you a little bit before we get into it. Hard truth is going to evolve in a way to encompass more of the hard truths you may encounter in the world. After all, I shouldn't limit this to only pandemic-related effects and changes. There are definitely a lot more uh, hard truths that can be discussed. So I hope you are all here for the change and ready to welcome our guests to discuss whatever their hard truth might be. Our guest this time was a delight to have on, and he was extremely welcoming to my thoughts and our discussion, no matter how hard it may be to the relevant situation in the world. In listening back on it, I feel like I could have taken this a little bit deeper, and I fully intend to have him back on in the future to see how much further we can go. But before we get into this, I have to take a moment to thank our sponsor, and yes, you heard that right. My wee little show got a wee little sponsor. And that name is Beardfire. Beardfire is your one-stop shop for beard balms, oils, and washes in a variety of fantastic aromas. Although I have not smelled them myself, I fully plan on doing so. If you or anyone you know has a beard and needs some attention, go to beardfire.co and use the promo code HARDTRUTH to get 15% off your entire order. 
That's beardfire.co, promo code HARDTRUTH. for listening to Hard Truth. Today we have an exciting guest. We are joined by Barrington Martin II. You may know him on Twitter. He's very outspoken. Or you may know him as the congressional candidate for District 5 in Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate you um, having me on your platform. I think that's very important. And I have, you know, I have manners. And I think that um, common courtesy is something that's missing uh, within the world. So I think that is a perfect way to segue into talking about the pandemic. But um, so take me back to when the COVID pandemic started. Um, did your uh, state or your county shut down very heavily at all? I'm a special needs educator, um, fifth grade at McNair DLA in Atlanta. And I remember the Third, like the Friday that they said that school was going to be out um, for the remainder of the year till further notice. And um, that's when things had changed. And then I guess it really didn't hit me that uh, life was about to be different because we're in the middle of a pandemic until maybe the, the second week, I would say, because um, even though uh, life slowed down for a lot of us, I felt that it was like much needed. Like I need a break from the hustle and bustle and the rat race of life. Because now I felt that when the pandemic started, I had a full 24 hours to do whatever it is that I needed to do or whatever it is that I needed to complete. So in process of going through the pandemic, I also was going through my entire election process was, was um, an also interesting thing too. So going from a person who um, loves human to human interaction to a person that had to uh, deal with a pandemic and not being able to talk to anyone in person, not being able to read body languages, not being able to feel the energy of people, it was a total um, shift, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely understand. Um, although I'm a little more introverted, so I have to take my social interaction at burst. <laughs> ah, I, um, get it. I get it. So well, as a special needs educator, um, did they try to have you do any sort of video teaching with your students or was that a no-go? I have an autistic uh, child in my household as okay. well. Um, so my school is a Title I school, so a lot of the parents didn't have like computers, but everything was really online. And if the student need to, needed to contact you, they could through like all like you know, since technology is a major thing, they have all of these um, portals where kids can reach you if they need to. But I kind of in knowing my kids, I kind of knew that they wouldn't have cared to um, <laughs> talk to me um, online, and they just rather just did their work on their own and <laughs> call it a day. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, 
the special needs child in my house. He's, I guess you could call him my stepson and he's five. So it, okay. they tried to do some video uh, stuff with him and he just wasn't, um, he doesn't understand that that's a live person trying to talk to him. Right. So it definitely didn't work. Um, so, <laughs> so we were, we were trying, but um, yeah, I, I understand the uh, reality of how hard that can be. Um, was it, you said that it, it was, you found out about the shutdown when they decided to close schools. Um, did everything else shut down around the same time? Was it sudden or did you start seeing things shutting down slowly? I feel that it was, um, it started off slowly for like for a couple of days and everything picked up. Um, I still remember like the last day I went to the gym and then the gym closed cause I'm a, I'm a gym rat and I go to the gym, um, at least five or six days a week, uh, when, or before the pandemic and everything just gradually, um, like sped up as far as like the closings. And then next thing you know, like there was nothing, um, available in the city to do, but, um, on the flip side, it just gave me more time, I guess, to, basically give attention to my campaign, but also it gave me more time to just to learn about so many other things. Like in the, throughout the pandemic, like I learned how to do Photoshop on Adobe. I learned how to do a lot of things on Adobe. I taught myself how to do um, so many other things because I finally had the time that I um, wanted to have to do the things that I've always wanted to do. And that's like one of the biggest things that I were I was trying to push to people was that despite the world slowing down, you didn't necessarily have to slow down um, yourself on your personal development because I uh, saw it as um, like a pause or a refresh button based on everything that was going on and based on um, the legislation that Congress was passing at the time based on the fact that even though, let me say this, even though I feel that the government dropped the ball so many times in this uh, process, I just felt that or hope, excuse me, that people just took this time to themselves to better themselves and not just in any type of, um, you know, tangible things, but just get to, got to know themselves better, got to know what they wanted, got to know the things that they would love to um, happen for themselves when we got out of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a remote employee. So the only thing that changed for me was that my children were home with me. Um, and so my productivity slowed down a little <laughs> bit because of that, but I enjoyed having the, uh, the extra time with them. Nice. I was going to ask you how, how do you feel about that? Because I know for a fact that, you know, parents often send their children to school and they don't really like have the time they would want to have with their kids because they only get eight hours a day because the other 16 hours they're the sleeper at work. But at the same time, I know that a lot of parents are like, okay, teachers definitely need to be paid more because I've been at home with my kids and they are driving me crazy. So I want to, <laughs> yeah. I want to know, like, how were you, how did you um, deal with that? I was going to ask you, um, it was one of the things I couldn't find about you. Um, I, granted, I didn't do a creepy deep dive, but um, <laughs> I was going to ask if you had a family home with you or if you were um, fully isolated to yourself. No, I'm like fully isolated, but I'm very close with my parents and my other siblings. So I was pretty much like house hopping, to be honest. Ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, for me, and I, I touched on this a little bit in, uh, in my first episode, I was really excited to finally have some time with my kids. Um, they're both really young, so they're not actually in school. In fact, my son was supposed to start school uh, this September. 
Um, but I had worked it out where they were going to their grandparents' house every day for me to work. And um, with their grandparents being elderly, we decided that it was best if, you know, we limited contact. Um, so I started keeping them home and I was just excited to, to have all this extra time with my kids before I went remote which was, it happened in November of 2019, actually. So it was still kind of fresh for me. Wow. Um, I was working nine to five in an office and I had been since I had my first child. Um, so it was a huge change to be able to have them home and have time with them. But, you know, two weeks in, I, real, I start realizing I can't get work done. I can't have professional phone calls because they're screaming in the background. Um, and my... <laughs> I'm hourly, you know, contractor. So the first paycheck comes in and the time I spent was cut in half and it wasn't as much as I was used to. And suddenly I'm worrying about my bills and I just, um, I was just not equipped to have them 100% of the time. So I completely agree. Even though they're not in school yet, teachers definitely need to get paid more <laughs> for, for doing what they do. Not only do they keep them all day, but they teach them and, um, you know, help them to grow as, as little people. So <laughs> it's, they, they deserve more. And that's just, I mean, that's one of the many things that uh, is broken with our country, I think. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So how are you, you mentioned that you're a social person. So um, at any point while you were working on yourself during this, did you, did you start to feel panicky or, um, depressed about it or or did you handle it pretty well overall oh absolutely not i handled it um i feel like brilliantly because honestly i i feel like i am a, a extroverted introvert i mean i like being around people but at the same time i love my personal space and i love the time to focus on myself or just focus on whatever it is that i want to concentrate on but um i feel that i've been very social in the midst of um the entire pandemic because even though like i'm not a partier i don't go really anywhere um to be like as far as socializing is concerned unless it's like a celebration or anything it really didn't stop like anything at all i just couldn't possibly go to the places that i would normally go to on, the, on a day-to-day -day basis which is fine like i still was outside every day because most of my exercise um, was outside and just like getting sun is very important and I just refuse to be um, a slave in my own house or prisoner in my own house excuse me but yeah like it was totally fine <laughs> you're one of you're one of the lucky ones um I think but you you do have your siblings around to uh to drive you a little crazy so absolutely a glimpse of what I, <laughs> I'm dealing with. <laughs> right, absolutely. So it didn't, it didn't make it like, that's the thing. Like you're always talking to someone or I'm always um, getting a chance to like, I guess, spend more time with my sisters, sisters and brothers, even though, um, you know, it's a pandemic going on. So this is why, like, I think that in situations like these, you have to look at the silver linings because it mm -hmm. is so easy to get caught up into the negative things of a situation like this because it's the negativity is around you every day. Like you, when you turn on the news, like in the, in the middle, at the beginning of this, all you heard about was death, 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 infections, hospitals, Trump. That's all you heard on the news. And then when you turn off the news and turn off the TV, get off of social media, you start to realize, like, oh, wow, things really aren't that bad as far as in my personal circle you know mm -hmm. did you know anybody who happened to get sick 
at all because I, I don't. No one personally um, in my family or friends have gotten it. Okay, so this is the thing, right? Um, before, I, w- I would like to say, even though um, like I didn't like get tested back then, I don't think, I'm sorry, I think that I caught coronavirus before it even made mainstream news because every symptom, I, I caught a bad flu and I never get sick. And I had a very, very bad flu for two weeks. And this was around New Year's, the week of New Year's. And I will never forget this because... Um, as the news about the coronavirus started to come out, um, I was like looking at the symptoms and this, the like spot on symptom for symptom, the same things I had when I got sick in the beginning of the year, uh, new years. And that's what I found uh, so interesting. I don't know anyone personally that got the virus, but I do know of people, um, that know loved ones of mine that got sick and passed away from it so it was like a friend of a friend things of that nature yeah yeah and it's it's funny that you say that there's a lot of people who think that they had something uh similar to it around that same time so i'm kind of of the same mindset that it's a possibility that um the people that were already getting it before we knew about it or at least before we knew much about it um so it's, I've, I've often wondered, I'm one of those people where anytime I start getting a cough for whatever reason, I'm like, Oh God, I've, I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> but then I wait 24 hours and, and a fever doesn't start and I'm like, okay, I'm fine. Right. <laughs> um, you mentioned that, um, you were still campaigning through all of that. How did it, uh, how did it affect how you were campaigning? Okay. So everything, uh, with social media driven for the most part and just sending out ads upon ads upon ads on like Facebook, Instagram and, and things of that nature. Phone calls, of course, text messaging, of course, just um, ba- basically trying to spread the word um, as much as I can, um, as efficient as I can, because of course, as much as I would have liked to go door to door and meet people, um, things weren't like happening at all when it regard in regards to that because people were so afraid. I remember actually the uh my first social event that I planned was gonna be at this nice place in downtown Atlanta called um the Beer Gardens. I forget the first name of it. And literally my team counseled on counseled the entire event without telling me and I remember showing up and no one was there even anymore from my team and I was like, where is everybody? Not to mention the the, the bar itself was um was empty and i was like oh my gosh like this is really happening and then the next day the entire city uh, was shut down oh wow i can't believe they didn't tell you <laughs> they, they didn't tell me at all but um i love them like but yeah but it made, it made it made sense because they were looking at the news and they were like monitoring the situation the entire time and it was the right decision at the end of the day yeah yeah i agree um I was looking at some of the things that you were talking about on your platform. Um, one of the things was gentrification of Atlanta, which I saw happening. I lived in Nashville for about five years, and I saw that happening around there as well in multiple different areas around Nashville. Right. I assume the effects of that were worsened during COVID with people losing their jobs, um, living in, in areas where they may not be able to afford the housing costs and things like that did 
were you, when you were talking to anybody on social media and, and pointing out some of the issues, um, did you hear from anybody that, that it was made worse, um, any situations? What's your experience on that? I don't want to say that it, it probably was made worse and I don't necessarily have, um, experience directly with gentrification because I feel that, um, essentially the virus probably sped that process up in a, in a lot of ways, but I do know that because of the housing situation and because of homelessness and poverty is an issue in the city, you just were able to like drive around and just see like how many more people um, were actually on the street than you um, realize or you don't realize on a day-to-day -day basis because you're keeping up with the hustle, like I say, the hustle and bustle of your own life. But then when you drive downtown and you see that, like, wow, like this is this own homeless population here in the city and there's nothing that our leaders are doing about it, then um, you have, especially in the elderly neighborhoods in the city where a lot of these um, senior citizens um, are living paycheck to paycheck, live off of their social security, and they basically have um, few funds to take care of themselves. And you see that people come in, developers come in, uh, ask them for their homes, buy their homes for like pennies on the dollar and turn around and sell it for five times for what they bought, what they bought it for. And then what happens to those elderly people is that um, they can't even find anywhere else to live within the city. And it's hard for them to go outside of the perimeter. And by the perimeter, I mean 285. And um, because they're so, they're so elderly, they're so elderly and a lot of the uh, facilities that they need are closer to their homes where they are now. And you just see like how something like a pandemic can just have drastic effects on people that are already struggling. And um, it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous how I would say that leadership in our city hasn't done uh, the necessary things to prohibit this from happening and to make yeah. their situations better. Mm -hmm. For sure. And it makes me think back to, you were talking about the homeless population. It makes me think back to living in Nashville. There was a, there was a place underneath a bridge. I don't remember which bridge exactly, but they, they called it tent city. And it was actually the homeless population in Nashville had built their own little community um, with little shacks they were building up with materials they found, uh, tents if they had them. Uh, they even had sort of had like a leader that was speaking for them if police came around or anything. And they've been ran out of their location multiple times. Um, the city's not doing anything to help them. They're just trying to keep them from being seen, so to speak. And during all of this, I was just thinking about them and just how bad it, it could get. I don't know where they're at now since they keep moving them, but thinking about little communities like that and how their living situation is with no running water, no ability to wash their hands. Um, hmm. I mean, I, I can only imagine that those people, uh, no matter where they're at, not just Nashville, are just miserable they're probably getting sick if they're lucky they don't have <laughs> interaction with the general populace so maybe it, right. it delayed a, a little bit affecting them <laughs> well, yeah, you can only um, hope so you know yeah 
Yeah, exactly. And there's not going to be, I mean, there's a, there's people that are speaking out for those communities and they're going in and trying to help them. Um, doctors, psychologists, people that are trying to get them rehabilitated and stuff. And hopefully they continued to do the good work that they were doing. But um, yeah, it's just, you, you can't help but think about the people that are less fortunate. Um, right. Like I would, if I was still working my nine to five, when this started, I would be screwed. I'd be fired by now. There's right. no way. I would be making money because <laughs> right. um, I wouldn't be able to go in with with my kids. And they uh, at the time I was I was working in a call center. So I was taking live calls and there's no way I would have been able to do that um, and be available at all times. And so right. very yeah. true. Um, so I guess this is a good segue into the next thing that I wanted to talk to you about. Okay. Uh, it's probably a very obvious elephant in the room here. Um, so we're in the midst of the biggest civil rights movement we've seen in our generation. Older generations have probably seen similar things. Um, as a black man in Atlanta who was trying to run for office to actually make a difference in um, you know, a political sense, um, what ran through your mind and how were you feeling when that uh, the footage of George Floyd first came out? Um, honestly, it's, it was it was not a surprise. Um, like it was not a surprise at all. I just mm -hmm. feel that um, for the last, I don't know, since forever, since I could remember, I don't know when this was actually popularized, but you, if you look at the news and you look at like tragedies like this that deals with race, um, you will see that the news and the media have been showing black men being murdered on television for a long time now. So this is why it wasn't surprising to me. I think more so than anything, what I found interesting was that finally other races of people were kind of, I guess, surprised at this because now I feel that in as far as race is concerned, um, a lot of people now realize what black people have been trying to um, state for a long time now. And I guess um, it was so horrific to many people, it caught them by surprise, but to black people, especially black men like myself, it was no surprise. Like this has been going on for years. I'm 32 years old and I, I can like, I still remember um, like videos and media of, you know, black men being harmed in the nineties. And you don't necessarily get a chance to see that with any other demographic, I feel like, but for whatever reason, um, the media pinpoints these types of um, incidents of violence against black men. So that's why with me personally, I've never, like, it was not, it was not a shock to me. I was more so um, interested in understanding that a lot of people were just like, wow, I can't believe this goes on. And, you know, like I said, like, hello, America, this has been going on for a while now. Now I'm glad you guys have finally joined the party. <laughs> for sure. Um, I, I think that growing up in the South, and maybe you can attest to this too, um, moving to Oklahoma and, and just meeting other people that are from uh, northern states or, or even western um, states. They seem to not have gone through this, but in the school that I was in, the tiny little town in, um, in, in the south, 
there were kids that were coming in that were wearing, you know, the Confederate flag, or they were being taught that the Confederacy meant something totally different. And we, we had black families in our community. And while they weren't being treated badly, it was very obvious that there was uh, severe differences between one family to another on what they were being taught about racism. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of them, it was just, you know, the Confederacy thing being taught to them. And of course, they inherited the racism from their parents. Um, it's what they do with that that kind of labels them. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. <laughs> And then there's the other people who were taught uh, the Confederacy meant like Southern rights or something. It had nothing to do with slavery and they were just delusional about it. Um, the South seems to still be a huge boiling point uh, and, and melting pot for racism just because inherently of what they stood for uh, during that the Civil War. Um, was that, did you see any of that, um, where you grew up or in Georgia at all? Um, see, that's the thing. I think that, um, I was aware of racism, but yet like my parents did a wonderful job of allowing me to maintain my innocence in the process of growing up. And I think that, um, I was, I've always been an aware kid, you know, ahead of my time, as far as my understanding of, um, ideologies that were present within the United States even before um, I came to be alive. But I think that, like, I didn't necessarily have a firsthand account. Like, I never had issues with the police. I used to have, like, um, issues in the workplace, in the workspace, or, you know, um, specific incidents that occur um, just from random uh, people just living my life or some certain things so to speak. Um, I think that I've always had a a great understanding that racism exists in this day and age, but I don't think, in my opinion, that is, that it is as um, a widespread or a huge issue like it was, um, you know, um, during civil rights or during the Jim Crow era. No, no, once again, don't get me wrong, because I want your listeners to understand me when I say that. Yes, racism still exists, and um, it's still a problem. However, in my mind, with the Black community, as far as the Black community is concerned, excuse me, it's not the biggest problem or as big of a problem as what other things are. Yeah, it seems to me to be inherited racism. What I mean by that, not only what your parents taught you, you know, and if you're in the South and it's a white family, you may have been taught some some bad stuff, you know, um, but it's also inherited um, in the system, so to speak, yes. um, just from my viewpoint in it anyway. The system was created by people who were more racist than most of the people that we see nowadays or in these generations, and the system hasn't been changed to meet Um, the change in our culture or the change in the economy. And so one of the things you you mentioned, and I think it kind of goes back to gentrification, is that, you know, if those communities weren't given the tools that they needed to grow, then they're not going to grow with the rest of the country. Um, And so it's inherited on multiple points. It's inherited in the system. It's inherited uh, by what your family taught you. And if you don't learn to think for yourself, and I don't mean to be um, insulting in that way, but like, um, my family did teach me 
what I had mentioned earlier about uh, the Confederate flag being more of a Southern pride thing. But then I paid attention in history class and I found out that, you know, it was uh, it was considered the rebel flag. It was um, I can't remember his name, but it was a battle flag of somebody who was um, against uh, abolishing slavery. Um, So it it definitely stood for something different than what my parents believed. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And so I, I decided for myself that I didn't want to have anything to do with it, but um, not everybody's going to be that way. Very true. See, it's, it's all about breaking these cycles um, of ignorance. I guess I'll say that it's all about breaking these cycles of ignorance, because at the end of the day, and this is why, like, um, I I really detest speaking about race sometimes, because essentially, in my mind, it is like one of the most um, unnecessary ideologies because at the end of the day, we're all one big human race, but yet and still we have to govern ourselves accordingly within the society that we exist in. And unfortunately within our society, American society, that is race has, and probably will always be an issue. Yeah. I mean, it was the, it was the foundation of our country, Um, not all of it, but I mean, when we created this country, slavery was a thing. So um, it's, it's kind of, it runs deep. Um, so it's going to be hard to get rid of it even so many generations later. Um, the, I, I understand where you're coming from though. I always feel like I'm one of those people who are overthink what I'm going to say. So I feel like speaking out on social media as a white woman that now lives in the suburbs, I may have been poor before, but now I'm the suburbanite white mom. Um, um, me saying that, you know, speaking out and saying racism shouldn't even be a topic right now at all. This shouldn't be a problem. It's like where I'm coming from when I say that is that I never saw, uh, and a lot of people say this is insulting. So this is, this is what I mean by that. I never saw a race. Like, obviously I, I see the skin color, but the, your people, you're, you're like me. And so I, it just blows my mind that this is still a problem. I don't know why people even get it in their heads that any one race is better than the other. We're all human. And the only reason our skin colors are different is because of where we evolved on the planet. Right. <laughs> like, and, and so um, I feel like that should be everybody's viewpoint if you're not racist. But then I look online, I look on Twitter and I see these people just getting blasted because they said something that they thought was explaining their stance on it and it offended um, the black community or somebody. And, um, and so I end up just being extremely politically correct. And my rage only comes through and just saying, you know, uh, excuse my language for any of the younger listeners out there, but like, what the fuck is really <laughs> all that I can say right. <laughs> and be politically correct. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. So I, I really just, I wanted to have uh, someone like you on. And while your point of view may be quite a bit different than others um, in your same community, just because you were running for office. So you see things from a more political standpoint, um, trying to make it through that crazy maze. You have a voice that can be heard um, on yeah. that topic. And mine's Mine's just not one of those voices, you know? <laughs> I, totally, I totally get it. See, this is the thing, though. I, I really detest um, 
PC culture too because I feel like the truth often gets left out and the people deserve the truth and people need to understand things better and the people need to understand other perspectives better because if you can't, if you are are unable to understand another person's perspective, it won't, you're going to stifle your own growth and you're going to stifle your own understanding about this world that we all exist in because you and I, for example, are different. You know, even if we look at um, a specific ideology or a specific thing, we we can possibly have the same similar v- view, but we can get there through different perspectives because of our past, because of our present, because of our current situations that we're dealing in. So even if like I am in politics and I'm considered a politician, I think that it is very important for me to always um be objective and always be honest about things because at the end of the day like i never know who's listening to me and i never know just how much my words could have an impact on a person positively or negatively and so this is why i've always vowed to myself that um no matter how far i got into the political realm i can still um you know be able to deliver um a concise thought and a concise honest thought in a way that that not necessarily want to offend, but it will allow or give people a chance to garnish the perspective that I'm trying to deliver to them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Um, one of the things that I've kind of kept to myself and I haven't really talked about since the beginning of all this, and I think it would be interesting to hear um, your reaction to it or your, your thoughts on it. Um, okay, okay. At, one point living in Nashville, I moved to a, uh, it was in North Nashville. I moved to um, a community where I was the only white person there, myself and my partner for many, many blocks. <laughs> okay. And um, we knew that going into it and we knew that it was labeled as a more violent community or more crime, higher crime rates in that area. Um, but at the time it was uh, really all we could afford in a transition phase. Um, and we didn't really care going into it. We knew we knew what we were going into and neither one of us ever uh, were racist or had any problem with it. So we might've been a little naive going in, but we moved in and of course the neighborhood saw us moving in, these two white people. Um, that night, the very first night I moved in, my, my car windows were broken into. Uh, wow. There was nothing valuable in the car. Um, cause I'd actually just bought it. So it was empty, but they smashed my windows and went through my whole car. Um, the house was attempted to, uh, they tried to break into the house the first week that I lived there. It was just a lot of different things happening. Um, there were, we were obviously targeted because of the color of our skin, which is what everyone is talking about right now with Black Lives Matter. And the way I always looked at it, um, eventually they, before I move into that, eventually they accepted us. We started talking to the neighbors. Um, we were invited to a cookout and then it, it became one of those, no, you, you leave those white people alone. <laughs> right, right. They're, they're not, they're not bothering you. Um, and the way I always looked at it was that's the same thing as what I was seeing in the South. It was inherent racism, uh, being taught that the white people are going to cause you trouble or they're going to always call the police on you or, you know, whatever they expected from us, they weren't happy that we were there. Um, And I felt like I've never had a way to explain that on Twitter or on social media, where as a white person, I felt 
the reverse kind of racism. Um, but it was, it's kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess you can expect no less, uh, given the history there, uh, mm -hmm. that they would be worried about us being in their community, being the only white people for blocks around, you know, um, that we would just uh, call the cops on someone going for a jog, which is what happened to another gentleman recently. Um, they eventually learned the difference, but I feel like people need to understand that this goes both ways, um, where you need to be more accepting of white people that are moving into your communities as well. <laughs> um, don't, yeah, don't be worried about it as much as you were. Um, it's be vigilant though. Right. I've always felt like I would just get attacked if I said that. Um, so you probably would because a lot of people aren't realistic and a lot of people aren't objective in their thinking and their rationale, nor would they try to understand your perspective and your your feelings are valid and your thoughts about that are valid because, of course, you're, you are what will be considered, and not just you, but just anyone in that situation will be considered an outsider. I mean, you can look at it both ways a lot of times when... Um, like, I, like, for example, when I moved into my neighborhood a while back, I was possibly, like, one of the only few Black people, but I was, like, much younger than everybody in my apartment complex. So, automatically, you know, everyone is on, like, based on their, their stereotypes that they've heard, based on the ideas that they adapt from media, they're going to automatically have their own um, um, preconceived notions about me before even saying a word about me you know and so it's so so instead of doing that you know it's, that's why it's important to take the time to get to know people to ask the, your necessary questions because at the end of the day we are all a part of a community when we choose to live in a specific area and that's that's one of the one things that i am trying to change the dynamic of outside of politics and it's just for us to have um, the necessary empathy and compassion that we should have for one another moving forward. Because if anything, this pandemic has taught us that no matter if you're rich or poor, no matter what tangible things you have, we are all going through this together in order for us to survive it, um, to see that we're better off on the other side of this, we have to have empathy and compassion. And so in your situation, um, you're the only white family moving into an all-black neighborhood. So, of course, again, they don't even know you. They just think about, you know, race, first and foremost, and they think about all of the negative aspects of race in the past. And so they judge you, and these things happen to you unfairly, not knowing what type of person you are, not knowing what type of family that you have, um, you know, in the neighborhood. And then, essentially, just like I feel any rational person does when – they talk to you, they get a feel for you. They're like, oh man, they're not bad at all. And it's like, see, that's what should happen in the first place. That should, that should be the, um, how we conduct um, our engagement with each other from the jump and not automatically assume. They should allow your actions to speak before for yourself more so than just the way you look. And that's one of the biggest issues I have um, with our country because we tend to... and. Like, I, I get it, we all judge, but essentially we shouldn't allow the way a person to look to develop these ideas or these feelings even for someone that we don't even know. Yeah, that's that's very true. And I really appreciate your um, your point of view on that. And it's kind of, that was kind of my point with the story. And that's why I wanted to 
to share it um, because you know if if you're an outsider for any reason just because of our history you're going to be looked at uh, differently right off the bat and I love I love the way that you explain that because it is the way we should be approaching everything with with empathy and um, you know giving people the benefit of the doubt um, and not just immediately expecting the worst. Right. Absolutely. I totally, totally agree with you. So going back to like how it affected you, um, similar to what we did with COVID, um, did you go out at all? What what happened? I've seen footage, uh, some footage of Atlanta. I've mostly been, uh, I had watched some live feeds of Seattle and a few other areas. Um, did it get anywhere near you? Did it get uh, to the riot level that we were seeing? Um, and did you go out at all? I went out to clean up after the um, looting of the first Friday, I want to say. Uh, so the the riot happened, the rioting looting happened Friday night, and I was out that that next Saturday morning cleaning up the city downtown. And um, they mainly, like how Atlanta is, um, a lot of our, like we have, we have specific money areas and that's mainly like Buckhead, Brookhaven and the other areas, um, don't necessarily have, I guess, um, retail shops that anyone could ride. And there's just expensive houses and nice neighborhoods, but downtown and Buckhead and Brookhaven uh, are where like our malls are located or the most, um, expensive malls and thus that's those were um, the places hit hardest not Brookhaven but the Buckhead area and um, it didn't reach my area because I stay in southwest Atlanta but um, it was very interesting um, to be downtown and just to see how much damage was done in a matter of really a, a night you know and um, I'm thankful that it, it didn't you know get bigger or more widespread than it did but um it was just a testament to just show that like people i felt like it was a compounded situation people were looking at the thing that happened with george floyd not to mention when we've been in the middle of a pandemic and a lot of people haven't been outside um and you know just emotions are high and tensions are high you just have an equation that's going to um equal up to something huge or destructive happening and that's what happened in the city yeah it's um i i kind of expected something to happen here we had um we had quite a few protests that were scheduled we did have um it never grew to riot level no one ever started um rioting or looting or anything here but we did have kind of the opposite thing happen somebody um a uh, a big truck tried to hit all the protesters that were on the highway here in Tulsa. Wow. Um, I never found out anything about the driver or what the situation was, but I actually had friends on the road that were in the footage um, trying to get out of the way of the truck. Um, they didn't get hit, but it was it was a, one of those examples, like, we don't even know if that person was local. I mean, they were on, on a highway that was te- technically could be, you know, used as an interstate through uh, for truckers. Um, so we don't know if they were local or if they were from out of state and didn't know that it was happening and just ignored any signs that were up or if they were just outright racist and knew what it was about and did it on purpose. So right. I haven't heard any 
any word on that. Um, but the uh, the first Trump rally is scheduled to happen here. Yeah, I heard uh, about that. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Well, we're worried because the timing is very blatantly obvious um, to to be. He chose it to try and incite something to happen. Um, we are the location of the massacre that occurred. Um, the anniversary of it was a few weeks back, but um, the date that he chose was the 19th. Um, I, th- I heard that he's delayed it since then. Um, but I'm kind of expecting it to come here and maybe <laughs> maybe I'm just wrong, but I, I don't expect this to go well um, just because it seemed just an in-your-face kind of try me situation is right. what it seemed like right um or a call to his own his own followers to to come out and do something um and like i said i've never experienced anywhere near the level of blatant racism here in oklahoma that i did back in tennessee right but um you know if if seeing what's going on across the country has taught me anything it's that it's everywhere right now and those those people who seem to be extremists with it are coming out of the woodwork. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I don't know if they're just being emboldened because of who our, our president is, or if it's just been one of those, <laughs> it's been boiling for a little while and here's my chance. Or like you said, they've been locked in the house for a while and tensions are high and um, they're just going out and see an opportunity to wreak some havoc. Yeah, that's what I think. I think it's it's a combination of all these things, especially the emboldened part. Because I was talking to someone um, the other day about um, how Trump's campaign manager was brilliant because they already knew, they already um, had the foresight to know that they weren't going to win the popular vote. And so they needed a nice slogan that would um, capture everybody who weren't, living in the city because we know that a lot of um main, like cities are like liberal um populated like like forward thinking people but those outskirts of people when you when you when they came up with the, the slogan make america great again and that's a broad statement to make essentially but when the people who you know live in those rural areas um who possibly i would say i could probably guess hated that their commander-in-chief was a black man and when trump came with the make america great again oh that that um allowed them to go vote in droves and i think that with the pandemic with the racial tensions is going on with the fact that everybody was stuck inside the house and just basically everything that's been going on in the news i think that all combined to give us on um, what we have going on right now in our society and the nation and um Hopefully it doesn't get bad out there for you guys, but who knows, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It seems like everything right now is a big, who knows? We, we don't know if the, you know, if COVID transfers as easily as they say it does, then we're going to see a, a huge spike and uh, the hospitals are going to be overrun just because of all the people that are out protesting. Um, they, they went out there knowing that they could catch it for a good reason and a good point and now we're just kind of with a ticking time bomb if covid is as contagious as it seems then it's we're just waiting for that to happen and the same thing is true 
for any other rallies that happen, any of the Trump rallies, any other political thing, any other protest. It it doesn't really matter what situation you put it in. As the 2020 has shown us, it's it's a ticking time bomb, and it just is a matter of the right day at the right time with the right people. Everything just going wrong. Right. And that that goes for both the protesters and the police officers that are there and the politicians that are there because we've seen during all of this a lot of politicians before uh the uh, civil rights movement really picked up they were politicians that were screaming at each other in video trying to talk about bills that need to be passed and trying to talk about how to handle covid so even they you know uh, as you know as a politician are real people that are being just as affected by the the scarcity that's going on and the scary um aspect of their family members being uh you know at risk Absolutely. it's it's crazy it doesn't matter who you are you are going to be affected by this pandemic in one way or another whether it's you are in the wrong place at the wrong time when another explosion happens right that's very true <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's just a lot, and I know that I'm a, an emotional wreck on most days, or at least a ball of anxiety. Um, <laughs> I totally understand. <laughs> I just feel like I can't do anything. You know, I'm involved with Humanity Forward, and uh, okay. it doesn't matter how strongly I feel about racism. Like I told you, I didn't feel like I was the person to be listened to about it. Right. Um. And that that may just be me. Maybe uh, who knows? Maybe people want to hear my point of view a little bit more. Um, I do have a unique perspective of having been harassed by the police, and I don't particularly like them. I don't trust them either because of it. Um, <laughs> That's fair. That's a fair assessment to yeah. make. You know. Yeah, and um, knowing that, you know, thinking back and putting myself in those situations once more, and and like I had told you, I think before we started recording, I'm not. I'm not certain I would be alive if I was another race. Um, and so I feel like I feel very strongly about the movement and like I need to do something. But again, at the same time, I feel like no one wants to hear from me. It's not my place. And I just speak out online and just say, what the fuck? Because that's the politically correct response to anything. <laughs> right. But that's the thing, though. You don't ever feel like um, your voice doesn't matter, especially if it's geared towards any type of positivity and, and anything that's going to, um, you know, better the cause or better um, the lives or the environment of people around you. Don't ever feel that way. And I think um, I, I can definitely empathize with you because, you know, um, being being any other race outside of black and speaking out about something you would think that you know you don't have a place or it's not your place to speak but these are the times where your voice matters most because if you're speaking out against injustices and against the things that aren't right um not only do you show your solidarity towards the cause but you show other people who feel like you that it's okay you know to speak out and then that your voices are also important because um you're using it for the common good of everyone so don't ever feel like you know you don't have a place because you do i mean we all do mm -hmm. thank you i like um i'm glad to hear that and uh before i 
say a thought that came to mind since I did mention Humanity Forward. I have to say that all of my thoughts and feelings that I've expressed on this show is not officially in any capacity related to Humanity Forward or their movement or organization. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) These these thoughts and opinions are my own. (laughs) Um, Although Humanity Forward does it, it speaks for itself. The name speaks for itself. They are for humanity as a whole. So my opinions and thoughts do kind of go along with that, obviously, but um, I'm not speaking on this podcast in an official capacity. Right, right. Um, totally understand. <laughs> but <laughs> the thought that that made me think of is just yesterday, and my mother will be listening, so she'll be mad at me for saying this, but um, my mother called me and um the news came up and, you know, she's a Southern woman, uh, grew up in the South. She lives in the country still, doesn't get any of her news from anything but the TV or me. Um, and I haven't talked to her in a while. So we were on the phone and the news came up and she immediately used the N word in a sentence. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. So let me give you a little background on this woman. Okay. When I was younger, she would take in anybody. So if we had friends that were in need, they had a bad living situation, they needed to get away for a little while or even a couple of months, she would take them in. Um, Neighborhood kids, friends of mine from school, it doesn't matter. And my best friend growing up was Black. Um, Her father was from uh, Africa, I'm not sure, uh, North or South. Um, And her mother was from America, and they lived just down the road on something called the farm, uh, previously known as the hippie farm. Um, If you don't know what that is, you should look it up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They're they're their own little community that was established in, I'm not sure, the 60s or 70s. They're kind of um, separate even under law for the most part. Federal law, I think, still kind of applies to them, but um, they're gated. It's a gated community. They, They have their own doctors and schools and teachers and publication company and everything. Um, And I met this girl through school and her mom was away a lot. And so she ended up at my house all the time. So we took her in. Um, She wasn't being taught a whole lot about like, you know, hygiene and how to take care of herself. And so, you know, it's it's a little bit different for um, black than it is for white. And as far as hygiene goes, especially for hair and different things like that. So we learned what that was and we taught her and my mother was involved and um so when i heard that word come out of her mouth it was like instant what are you saying right Right. now you and like i said in the tweet you have never been racist was my response right and i had no explanation for what she was saying other than the fact that the news is only showing people going out and burning stuff down and breaking things and um I can only assume that she's she's taking this in. Um, I do have to add that she is a Republican, so I don't know if that had anything to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it just it blows my mind the effect that the news can have on people. And and you just made me think of my mother. It's like she's almost fifty now. Um, she had me when she was young. She's always been accepting. She made me who I am today. Because she wasn't 
those classic Southerners that are grown, you know, grew up racist and were taught to be racist and Southern pride and all that. She was, she taught me just by, like you said, her actions, not her words, taking in anybody. It didn't matter who, if you were in need, she would help you. And when I heard that come out of her mouth, it was like, all of that just went away. It was like, who, who are you? Where's your past gone? Do you not remember who you are right now? Right. Um, and I, I joke about it, but it was kind of a serious moment and she's going to be super mad at me for saying, (laughs) (laughs) I'll end the public. (laughs) But I think like, it's important to know that like everybody gets their news from the media and that is the worst thing that can happen because the media is biased and they're going to only show you what they, what is going to like make their money is going to get their ratings. And so it's so easy to develop an opinion from the media, but it's kind of unfair to do that because they never show the entire, the whole picture, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's why, that's why I feel like the media is poisoned these days because it's, it's one thing to report the news, but it's another thing to report us like one side of the news to um, further whatever cause or whatever underlying agenda. agenda yes. That there is in play. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of propaganda and um, absolutely one thousand percent. The whole the whole reason I brought up that story is just because like I f- I tried to explain to her like what the movement really is, what it represents, and that the news isn't showing everything. Like you said, it isn't showing the whole story. And at one point, I just felt like I was talking to a wall. Like I couldn't get my point across anymore. There was nothing more that I could say. Um that would get her to understand uh, what I was saying other than just pointing out like, this isn't you. And um, right. I feel like a lot of other people don't have that luxury because the people that they're talking to, they don't know them, you know, and trying right. to change somebody's point of view without any sort of personal talking points can sometimes be, uh, can be just impossible, I think. And I think a lot of people, if they're anything like me, uh, if they feel the way that I, I do about them not being the person to speak out, then they're, they're going to understand that where it just, it feels like it's almost feeling like a losing battle, but I know that we're not losing because we're making change. Yes. Progress <laughs> is being made. But you should tell your mother to definitely understand that there's a difference between the Black Lives Matter ideology and the Black Lives Matter group. And I think her, her entire opinion will totally change because that's the thing that I've been trying to tell people or push to people that those the black lives matter ideology is something that, that any human being can accept you know that's is very it's very easy but on the flip side the group are totally opposite than what the ideology excuse me the ideology stands for yeah i've been seeing some of your uh posts about that and um I was actually, thank you for reminding me, I was wanting to get any sort of expansion on that. We're running out of time here, but I will say she has been excited for the next episode of this podcast to come out. So anything you want her to hear, she will hear it directly from you. Okay, cool. (laughs) Hi, mom. (laughs) Okay, so... um, if you go to their the Black Lives Matter website and you go to the About Me when it, it, it talks about um, the the things that they stand for, you will see that a lot of the um, ideological framework is very Marxist and it's very um, 
dangerous to the progression of like black Americans. And the reason I say this is because I personally feel that the two things that, that plagues black America is the destruction of the black family, the nuclear black family, as well as the fact that, um, and we can talk about this at a later time because I will have to expound on this and I don't want to want to run over your time, is that the black Americans have no culture and the culture that, um, that exists for black America has been attributed to them. And without a specific culture, there's no proper ideological framework to work upon to you know, move forward and um, I guess I want to say possess the, the necessary changes or progressive changes that's needed to um, get Black America out of the state that is in. On um, the flip side, the Black Lives Matter movement is, as a group is totally against the Black family and it's totally against um, possessing any type of male influence into the family lifestyle. And that's just a little bit. And so if if she's able to like look at the website and read some of the things, she'll totally understand where I'm coming from. And then when she looks at the news, she'll be able to pinpoint, okay, this is totally different from um, the Black Lives Matter ideology that everyone's a part of. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I I haven't even dove into that either. So it comes down to a, like a gender thing. Yes. Is that, am I understanding no, no, no. that correctly? It's, it's, no, it's bigger. No, it's like it's more than it's more than gender. It's 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 so many bases um, on that website of of things that that will just raise red flags when you read them. Um, I don't know them by heart. I just know like a lot of the things. Um, it's not based in gender. It's just based in just like frameworks that don't even make sense. Essentially, yeah. Or, or not. It sounds even... a lot like the same situation we're seeing with Antifa. Yes. Um, like anti anti fascism as a whole is an inherently good thing. That's a great, if you know absolutely. anything, if you know anything about what fascism is, which for my listeners, um, Hitler was the most well known fascist in history. Right. Um, not the only one, but most well known. And being anti-fascism is being against the ideology um, that the fascists believe. But Antifa has evolved into its own organization that doesn't seem to be only anti-fascist. There seems to be more there that, like you said about that website, raises it raises red flags. So it sounds like the same thing that's happening uh, on both sides of the spectrum now. Right. It's, yeah. You're definitely, absolutely right. Man, okay. I'll have to uh, I'll have to dive into that a little bit more and do some reading then. But yeah, I have seen a lot of your your tweets, and I'm sure that anybody who's not um, educated on the differences is uh, hounding you right now. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Because well, what do you, when people are like, "What do you mean?" and then when they go to the website and they check it out, they're like, "Oh my god, I did not know this." And I'm like, "Yes, this is why I want the entire slogan to change because." It's so easy to say, oh, I'm for Black Lives Matter, and then someone could see the group and say, oh, you mean the group? Or, oh, you with the group? And they can automatically be turned off of that or turned off of that. And then in turn, you'll be like, well, why don't you like Black Lives Matter? Why don't you understand that, you know, Black Lives should matter? And you guys could be totally talking about two different things and not know about it. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just have a big argument. Uh, without understanding what the actual basis is for either person's side. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, in wrapping up here, I'm I'm super thankful that you came on. Um, I know that you thanked me for having you on, but I'm, I'm really glad that you agreed to and you dove into these topics with me. Um, 
for my listeners out there, I'm not trying to make my podcast political, I promise. But this was a voice that I felt like needed to be heard. <laughs> oh, man, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm st- yes. totally grateful for you. <laughs> so for any listeners out there who may be feeling um, down about either the isolation or the um, Black Lives Matter movement, uh, what would you say to them right now? Um, I want everyone to know that everything is going to be okay. I promise you everything is going to be okay. I know things seem bleak right now. And I know that we have been in a, like a roller coaster ride of nothing but despair since the beginning of the year, but everything will get better. However, it is important that you do the necessary things for yourself, for your own mental health, but it's very important that we take care of each other. We possess the necessary empathy and compassion we need to move forward because at the end of the day, in order for any type of positivity and progress to be made, we all have to be on one accord and we all have to care for one another. We're about to enter a new day and age in in which life is going to be a lot differently from here on out, but we will survive it. We will thrive in it, but we cannot do it alone. We have to do it through love, empathy, and compassion of one another. Perfect. That was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And uh, for anybody who didn't already know who you were, um, where can they find you and support you? Okay. um, My Twitter is underscore Barrington the second. That is underscore B-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N-I-I. And my Instagram is Barrington for Atlanta. I will not spell that out because I feel like I just spelled my name, but just add uh, (laughs) F-O-R-A-T-L-A-N-T-A, Barrington for Atlanta. And I am very accessible. Anytime anyone wants to talk or just drop me a line, I'm always here. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, this has been The Hard Truth. If you made it this far, I'd like to thank you for listening to Hard Truth. I really appreciate you and everything you do. And if you enjoy Mindwave as a whole and all of its shows, go on over to patreon.com mindwave to become a patron. I hear the packages have changed a bit to include things like bonus content, access to our Facebook group for patrons only, and even a new Discord channel complete with all of the hosts so you can send us questions directly. This time, I'm not going to give out my cash tag for personal support, because I feel there are plenty of other causes that you can support at this time that deserve it more than I do. If you have a few dollars to spare, I would encourage you to look for groups that are donating to those in need, whether that's COVID relief or to the various civil rights movements that have sprung up. They need us now. And for those who can't, don't be discouraged. We've all been there. Listening, sharing, and discussing is just as important. If you want to reach me or send me questions to ask my children, you can find me on Twitter at MindWaveLena anytime. I look forward to hearing from you guys. And thanks again. Until next time, keep your head up. You're not alone. Hey, Kaylin. What? What color hair do you have? Red. You have red hair. That's right. Did you ever feel nervous about having red hair and not knowing anyone else that has red hair? I don't know. You don't know? You never thought about it? 
Do you think you'll make friends when you go to school? Yeah? You don't think they'll treat you any different because you have red hair? Yeah. You do? You think they will? Yeah. Aww. What kind of, uh, how are they going to treat you different? I don't know. You don't know? But you thought about it? I'm sure everyone will love you and your red hair, buddy. Love you. I love you too, mommy.